welcome to Arrested DevOps Episode 6, DevOps Mythbusters. I'm your co-host, Matt Stratton, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. And I'm your co-host, Trevor Hess, at Trevor G. Hess on Twitter. This episode of Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, helping businesses realize true agility through DevOps and cloud-enabled innovation. Tonight on ADO, we're going to be talking about... Um, DevOps myths, Trevor. DevOps myths. <laughs> Sorry, Matt, Matt put together this delightful new script in which he put X... <laughs> and so I very immediately said, tonight we're going to be talking about X. It's the X troll. Let's introduce our panel. Uh, tonight we've got Damon Edwards and Sasha Bates. Uh, I'm Damon Edwards. I'm a co-founder of actually two companies. Uh, one is uh, DTO Solutions, which you guys might know me from. It's a uh, DevOps and kind of automation consulting company. The other is a company called Simplify Ops, which is a new venture. Um, it's a much more focused thing. It's um, providing uh, support and services for the Rundeck project. So people are into kind of put, adding a self-service capability to their operations. Uh, Rundeck is a thing they add to their tool chain, and we develop it, and we also provide training, services, all that good stuff for it. So we're heavily involved in that end of the world. Uh, my name is Sasha Bates, and I currently work for the company Chef, uh, where I do automation consulting. Uh, prior to that, I was an independent consultant where I did a lot of automation consulting as well. And uh, I also uh, co-host the, the Ship Show podcast, which um, uh, is produced by my friend Paul Reed. And uh, I don't know. What else do I do? I have opinions on the Internet, which apparently landed me here. Oh, yeah, if we're throwing our, throwing our podcast out there, i got to throw out the uh, DevOps Cafe that uh, John, Willis, John Willis and, and I do. I also do a lot of blogging at the uh, DevDops blog, D-E-V, the number two, OPS.org. I was, uh, yeah, that's one thing I was, I was kind of, uh, it's too bad John was, we were hoping John was going to be able to join us tonight too, but he had some actual real work to do. But I was all set to talk about how I, uh, I consider you the Pat Hughes to, to John's um, Ron Sano, which really only makes sense to Chicago Cubs fans. Uh, yeah, sure, right. Might, might look that one Thank up you. sometime. <laughs> so I, I think we're ready to, we want to jump right in because we have a lot to talk about. And what we're going to be doing in this episode is Trevor and I have compiled a list of beliefs that organizations have about DevOps. We're going to throw them out to the panel and determine whether or not they're true or they are myths. And we're going to start with a basic one, which is you're either DevOps or you're not. It's a, it's a, it's a yes or no question. Is that true? I don't know. I mean, no, I don't think anything is absolute, ever. I don't think really something can can be DevOps. I'll put it that way. I mean, I think that's it's kind of a big. Uh, if you I think really have to look at what the definition or what your own definition of DevOps would be, what I would say, you know, DevOps is is looking at everything from a business idea to a customer outcome, you know, that's happening in a production environment, right? How do you streamline and remove the bottlenecks and inefficiencies and wastes that prevent you from from getting through that process to what end so you can get fast feedback, you know, to the uh, to the business, right? So if that's your field of focus for DevOps, um, it's, you're you're never done, right? You're never going to um, to to get to the end of it. If you look at DevOps as you know, I'm just going to automate everything in my uh, you know my build and deploy, then you know maybe there is a, a end in, in mind. But you know I think if you look at sort of what the general, more broader accepted definition of DevOps um, or view of DevOps, it's more of a aspiration than it ever would be a absolute state. And I think we have our first myth, so that's a myth. All right, so we've, we've broken out our myths into different sections, and the first section we've got is uh, miss the company kind of as a whole sees, and uh, we've subcategorized that. We've got management beliefs. Um, so the first management belief is... DevOps only works for startups or web companies. Myth or not? Um, I'm going to say that's a pretty big myth. Um, I, I think that it's, again, it's uh, if for any business, uh, you know, that idea of fast feedback, for, you know, time to market, quality, these are, these are all issues that any business suffers from. And um, any business that, that needs to run software as, um, you know, the underpinnings of their business, which is pretty much every business these days, um, can benefit from these ideas. I think you just see the web companies that have come out of the gate with this because for them, you know, number one, they have no legacy. There's no history, right? They're, they're kind of, you know, they get to, they get to make it up as they uh, draw their world as they go. And, um, you know, 
so number two, this is their factory floor. This is all they do is build and operate some type of, of you know, software-based service. So for them, you know, this is just life or death, and it's part of the startup, uh, you know, battle they go through. Um, but so they just kind of got out in front of this first. But no, it's a it's a, it's a general topic. Yeah, I'd agree. I have to say that um, uh, DevOps is actually uh, not easier, but uh, more likely more valuable in um, in big companies because that's where you really need to break down the silos, not in startups where there aren't any. Matt, sounds to me like we've got another uh, myth confirmed. I, I think it is. I think that part of it is what what drives it as a myth is that places are, are doing it in enterprise and they may not be calling it that. I, I would I would agree with Sasha's point, which is that's that's where where you really do do need it. And I think it plays into some of the other myths we're going to talk about, which are these beliefs that it doesn't work because of these specific things where they actually end up being much more beneficial because of almost because of the very things that you think keep you from doing it. So yeah, Boston. and I think I think also most of those like you hear us coming. We deal with a lot of enterprises, and when you hear it coming from the enterprise, you know, context, it's more that we can't do things exactly like Facebook does, or we have a far more complex world than Facebook does, right? I mean, you know, they have multiple business lines that have been acquired over the last you know 20 years, multiple teams, multiple people around the world. You know, it's a much different starting point that they're, that they're that they're coming from. So really, it's a, just a, often a matter of you know, they, it's not that they don't agree with the principles or they can't somehow translate the principles to their organization. It's more that I can't copy those exact tools or that exact way of doing things, so therefore it must not be good for my organization. My special snowflake is too special. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I, I uh, actually was specifically told, you're the second person to come in and compare us to Netflix. And I said, I'm not comparing you to Netflix. I'm using Netflix as an example, but yes, you guys are not Netflix. So that's kind of to your, your point. Oh, we're not Facebook, so it doesn't work. Well, we're not Netflix. Well, it doesn't well, yeah. apply. And, and also, always an excuse. I mean, it feels like the most sacred thing in any organization, or you know, the thing in any organization is the is the you know, it's the way we've always done it, right? It's like, well, that's the way we've always done it. We couldn't do it any any other way. So more often than not, you're fighting that, right? And that's the thing that that makes them feel like we could never move like one of those other organizations because that's not the way we do it. And that's the first thing you actually do want to question, because a lot of times the reason that people are doing things the way they've always done it is for a reason that doesn't even isn't even valid anymore, isn't as often was implemented by somebody who isn't even there anymore. Yeah, it's the, it's the hallway requirements, right? It's like, well, somebody told me that that's the way we're supposed to do it, so of course that's the way I'm doing it. And then you also get the, the I feel people get back on their heels about that too, if you because they feel defensive, even like you said, even if it wasn't their decision. And I've, you know, told clients before, and I said, no, nobody does things because they're dumb, right? There's always a reason that it happened, but is that reason still valid? Right. Doesn't mean we can't change it. So, I think that's busted. Um, Absolutely. No, it's confirmed. It, it is a myth. confirmed. Yeah. What's wrong? I told you. This is why I edit this thing. So I don't. No, that has to stay in because my script fail is going to stay in too. Yeah. <laughs> So, so the next myth, which goes along those lines, is the belief that DevOps doesn't scale. And I hear this a lot, which says, oh, it's fine when we have a small team, but it won't scale to a large organization or to a larger team or a larger project. I think it does. I think it just really depends on how you do it. And there are different ways to implement this kind of a strategy, right? Maybe you can't have like one giant room full of people in an enterprise the size of, say, GE or Microsoft, or I can't think of anything, but you know, like big places. But there, there are ways to mix it up in ways that um, are not maybe the way a startup does it with 10 people or whatever. But there are ways to have uh, floating experts who are cross-functional team members and generalists and things like that. And there are ways to mix it up uh, in such a way that you actually can have that kind of flexibility and generalist knowledge across uh, teams and can still support things that you are trying to create I really think that you can. Yeah, I, you know, I'd actually would, would argue that DevOps is actually, or thinking about DevOps is something that you really need, only need to do in larger organizations. Um, you know, if you have, if, if you're the classic five person in a garage startup, um, you don't have any DevOps problems. Um, you don't have any misalignment problems. You don't have silos because everyone's on the same team. Everyone's doing whatever has to be done. And you've got one goal, which is, you know, find out how to go as far as you can without running out of money, right? So it's, Pretty simple. There are no DevOps problems there. Um, it's when you get to larger organizations as you start to grow up, right? You start as you start to scale, that uh, these silos start to form, and these silos and these disconnects and 
in the bottlenecks and the bad handoffs, and you know that's where these DevOps problems start to occur. That you start to start to need, start to, need to actually think about how do you you know bring a DevOps mindset or you know DevOps style of working into your organization. So I wouldn't even say it's a question of does it scale. It's a question of I, I think it becomes more and more essential as you um, as as you scale. So and, and again, it's not like a methodology. It's not like you know scaling agile. Um, it's it's a mindset, it's a goal, it's a set of practices. So you know, by its nature, um, it's not a thing whether it will scale or won't scale. You just have to adjust your mindset or adjust your practices based on whether you're talking about you know two teams of ten people or you know five teams of five hundred people each. Yeah. Indeed. I'm starting to sense a pattern here. Yeah, I, know. I told you, I actually tried to, to not have them be so blatant, but I, I do think they become a little, but, but I, I do think they're pretty prevalent beliefs because mm-hmm. a lot of this came from things that I was finding with customers saying, this is why we can't do this stuff. Well, and I think it's important to point out, I guess we should probably talk about this a little bit more, that this shit is hard. <laughs> I mean, and the bigger your family, the harder it is to make stuff work. So, I mean, it's not easy. It's not, there's no magic sparkle dust, right? You didn't buy that. That didn't come in the box. So, I mean, yeah. I think that's what really people are like, why can't you give us the magic sparkle dust? And we're like, well, you can't. I mean, this is just like anything else, like any other uh, organizational challenge in that you have to work at stuff and you have to, you have to give to people, you know, you have to help other people give shit. And if they don't, then nothing is ever going to work because you can't make people do this stuff. Right. Yeah. And I mean, people are hard, right? I mean, this, this is always, this is something that doesn't, this is not a technology specific problem. I mean, this was the same problem, you know, in, in manufacturing. I mean, it's the same problem in organization, organizing armies. I mean, this is this has been a problem throughout history whenever you try to mm-hmm. enable people. Whenever you try to bring people together to work together to achieve some goal, um, this has always been a problem, and we shouldn't think we're special snowflakes as an as an industry, even though we do, we, we do uh, that we're you know, somehow rethinking the you know the world here or, or kind of thinking outside of the outside of the box here. You know, if you look back to manufacturing you know history, I mean these, these problems have all been lived through, and uh, it's just now being applied to a new to a different um, different discipline. But you know this this is this is it's 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 on its face it's it's human behavior and organizational dynamics far before you ever even think about any technology. Which brings us to our next myth. Um, you can't do DevOps without being agile. I think that um, that you won't be able to help it, I guess. Yeah. But I don't think that you have to go into DevOps going, we must also be agile. But I think that in order to do a lot of the DevOpsy things that people want to do, you have to understand, again, like what Damon was saying with um, speed of delivery and things like that. A lot of Agile and DevOps and Kanban and things all have the same goal in mind, which is really fast turnover times for feedback loops so that things are taken care of. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, again, this goes down to definitions, right? I think there is, unfortunately, a large large percentage of the world out there that equates, equates Agile to Scrum. Right, you say, are you agile? They're really asking, do you guys do Scrum? Right. Yep. So, you know, if that's your definition of it, then no, one's not really dependent on the other. But if you're, as, as Sasha was talking about, if you're really talking about, you know, fast feedback and small batch sizes and single piece flow and sort of all the classic principles that underpin, um, you know, all these all the lean principles that underpin what we think of today as as agile, then you really can't escape. Getting there. In fact, um, Gary, I think Gary Groover, uh, I keep forgetting his last name, but uh, he was the he ran the HP uh, firmware division uh, for the printers, a firmware group for the pr- printers, and he did a, a book called uh, "Scaling Scaling Agile." This one, uh, that right. one. There we go. Yeah, is it Groover? <laughs> large scale Agile. Groover, What's yeah, in the book? Yeah. It's a practical approach to large scale agile development. Yes, God, and I, I met the guy, and I feel sorry about it. I keep I've mangled his, <laughs> his name, but yeah, he's actually—it's a fantastic book. But the whole point of the story is, you read that, and you're like, "This is the continuous delivery book applied." It's all the same principles. It's all translated. And wow, isn't that funny? It's a printer firmware division. Like, you know, oh, that's 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 interesting story. But the real interesting story is they figured all that out without actually going out and reading all those books. So they read them all afterwards, and they mapped all those ideas back to the stuff they were already doing. They just started out and said, how can we do a better job of delivering software? How can we be more responsive? How can we you know, stop these, these quality problems we've had in the past? How can we improve our throughput? And they kind of just assembled all these ideas um, just by thinking them through the problems 
And when they got done at the end, you compare that to you know what we think of now as continuous delivery and agile and all that all that good stuff. It's pretty much a one to one a one to one match. So I think it's kind of inescapable. The funny thing with that book, and that there's just a one little anecdote anecdote not to not to go off the rails, but cracks me up. So the first episode of um, DevOps Cafe I ever listened to was the one with Jess Humble. And I was listening to it in my car, and he was explaining continuous delivery, and I was sitting there in my car yelling at the radio, that won't work, that doesn't work, this won't work for us, blah, blah, blah. And then he brings up that HP book. And I mm-hmm. went, um, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think my thought on this, you know, not doing it, I, I think you can, I, I would go so far as to say this is not necessarily a myth. I agree with mm-hmm. Sasha's point that it'll be cha- it can be challenging, but you can still have, just like you can, for the same reason that we say it will, it will work in, in an enterprise, if you aren't necessarily looking at the feedback loop, it's, there's still value in breaking down the silos, and there's still value right. in the, the coordinating the knowledge work. And I, there's a, a specific enterprise that I worked in that the team was very DevOpsy, but it was not an agile team, and it, it didn't work to be agile for the product. It wasn't a product that worked well for, for small feedback loops, but it, it helped us substantially to have a pretty clean line or lack of line between our, you know, sysadmins and, and the developers. So I don't think this is a myth. Or I think it is a God, I'm so confused about what's positive or not. <laughs> no, it's not a myth. It, it, it is a myth. It's plausible. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so the, yeah. The agile, the agile principles, the actual things. I don't mean the ones that you know you signed on the agile manifesto. I just yeah. mean the principle, the principles that that allow that people put into place when they really go agile, are the same principles you're going to be applying to a broader domain oh. when you thinking thinking DevOps. So I was right. It is a myth. Or no, it's not a myth because it says you. <laughs> There's too many negatives in this thing. Okay. Moving on. Here's my answer. My belief is you can be DevOps without being agile. Whether that means this is a myth or not, I don't know. That's that's what I'm trying to say. And I think that's that's to Sasha's point, you can do it, it just might be harder. Right. So it is not a myth, it is It is it true. Is, yes. No, it's not, because it's like you know, <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> oh, drink more. No, um, they're not mutually time. exclusive and they're not required. I mean, right. one does not require the other. Um, I mean, they're, they're correlation without causation in some ways, and they're apples mm-hmm. and oranges in other ways. So, I mean, you need to do what works for you. I think that you'll find that eventually you're going to have to have some kind of organizational flow, whether that's, you know, part of the Agile Scrum or the Kanban or, like, your own made-up fun. I have no idea, right? We're going now, and this was a section that we call business semantics, and, and I think this is, which is what it is. And this is, I can't wait for the answer to this one. This one, I'm going to insist that Sasha goes first. Um, so <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing DevOps, you should have a team that's called the DevOps team. That's the belief. Oh, you just think I'm just going to go off and be silly about that. <laughs> but um, I would, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you got to do what works for you. I think it sounds silly and... Um, a lot of times people call things DevOps teams, and what they really are are the DevTools team. And I really think that what you mm-hmm. really need to do is be really specific about um, what your team does and the name that it has and its mission, regardless of what you call it. And um, creating a siloed team to break down silos is really highly ironic. And you just really okay. need to be careful with what you're doing and that it makes sense and that it isn't um, fad chasing. So I'd be thoughtful and self-aware. I have an interesting... Uh take on this, I, I, I believe. I mean, on, on one hand, I've always railed against, the, as Sasha said, the idea of creating a DevOps team, right? If it's just, if it's if you're going to create a silo, or really, really just a renaming of the silos, or reshuffling of the silos doesn't get you, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, you know, there was, in fact, we, I think we see a lot of times enterprises, there was the point of, of, of contention, right? The point where it all goes wrong is the release function, right? It's the build and deploy team that it all went terribly wrong. And it's one put it once great that, you know, they're a, it's the canary in the coal mine, right? And so when the canary falls over dead, instead of saying, hey, we've got gas in the coal mine, uh, everybody says, well, well, you know, we need a stronger canary. We need a better canary. The canary must be, must be all screwed up. So we got a new canary. So what are we going to do? Oh, no problem. They're no longer the release team. They're the DevOps team. We got DevOps. We're going to solve all of our problems, right? And again, they just kind of rename mm-hmm. the silo. So I think that that's a bad, dangerous thing. So, so I think it's, 
it's too easy to do that. So I always, you know, recommend against, um, you know, to say, hey, it's just don't do that. Call them something else if, if, if you. Yeah, if I mean, you, a lot of times like. it is. It's the release engineering team or the dev yeah. tools team. Right. And you, if you just rebrand the release engineers to DevOps, they aren't going to be happy about that either. I mean, people don't want to be branded like that a lot of times. And folks who have been doing certain things for years and now are all of a sudden getting a new title like that feel like they've been doing the same thing already and they haven't been appreciated and now you don't really see them at all, you're just stamping a label on them. I, right. I think I think the other thing that can come into play that I've seen, I mean, I've, I've seen places where, like you said, where it's just the developer tools team and that's what they, they, they just rename them that, or it's release engineering. But also I've seen places where they do build a new team and it's almost to go around ops. It's like they take developers and they say, now you're going to hmm. be dev ops and you're going to do the right. ops stuff as well. But I still have my legacy sysadmins, and they really get – it does not break down a silo. I mean, it makes things worse. Right. So the new name for that – there's a new name for that. There's a new, <laughs> a new name for that, and that's cloud operations. <laughs> so we, we, we see this at a, at, a, at, a, at a number of enterprises. They call it cloud operations. And it's basically like application operations that, you, that used to be a thing. Yeah. You'd have your application operations and your infrastructure operations. And the app ops guys have got together with the release guys and have created the cloud operations cloud operations team, and they're all focused on deploying to the the uh, you know whether it's Amazon in some cases or it's their own private cloud, and as a way to go around the operations guys. Um, so that's we've seen that one. But I, I want to go back to the idea of is there can you have a DevOps team? And I, and this is this is I think the peculiar you know part of my answer I was alluding to, that I think there are certain scenarios where putting a team um, in charge of this type of thing is actually uh, can be done correctly. And I think there's sort of two ways it can be done. One is if you think about sort of the Toyota production system way of doing things. They had their chief engineer or they had their, some people called in the lean world, their value stream manager, which is somebody who is responsible for the flow of work and the quality of work through the end-to-end -end system. It's like they're the overarching control of the design, the production, everything for that particular Product. So if you were the chief engineer for the Toyota Prius, you would you know, be responsible for that end-to-end -end process. You need to talk to the design guys, the production guys, making sure that the part suppliers are moving. Everything's flowing through that, that, that organization. Very high-pressure job, but have that overarching view of production of the thing you're trying to do. So I've seen organizations have tried to anoint that type of role, that type of position, that kind of manager of the value stream. And I think that could work. It's much more of an architecture job. Um, and I, I think a model that works... For, or really should be looked at, in large organizations, you can't escape having specialization. You can't escape having the, um, the uh, you know, combining a lot of like things together because we're going to get an economy of scale, or these have, will happen to be in one part of the world. So, you know, the, the ones that we've, I think, have been very successful in this model, sort of like if, uh, before you referenced uh, Netflix, and uh, Ray Rappaport had a great presentation called, I think it's Metrics at Etsy. I mean, at uh, Netflix. That'd be weird if it was at Etsy. Metric, metrics at, at Netflix um, that was a great talk about this, how whenever they're going to have a silo for something, the effect is instead of creating the metrics and monitoring team, that when you want to monitor something, you fill a ticket out, and they will go and configure the monitoring tools to make things happen for you. They have a, um, you know, your job is someone's in charge of that, but their job is to make a service and APIs and libraries that other people in the organization can consume. Right? So it's no longer there is a third party that will do the work for you. It's someone who's creating tools that you can use to get your job, your, your job done. So it's almost like you, create the, you still have a silo, but that silo, their job is to create a service that will then be consumed on demand you know, in a pull basis uh, by the rest of the, uh, of the organization who needs it. And I think those, that, that two combo of things, um, you know, the two combo, the, the, the architect type person who's, who's looking at the end-to-end -end process at all times and coaching and trying to drive things along, and that, um, you know, operational capability as a service, um, i.e., you know, release tooling and that type of stuff. I think those two things combined can be a DevOps-like organization that is there to drive it throughout the organization. But if you put the DevOps, as soon as you put the DevOps title on it, you risk falling right back to, well, everyone will say, that's the DevOps team's. That's their problem. Let's just push all the responsibility on them. New silo created. So end of long rant. Sorry about that. Also, I had a client recently who said, yes, we have a DevOps team. We're not really sure what they do. And uh, we just had somebody who moved over there, and he's still not really sure what they do. So, I mean, it's important to not <laughs> yeah. fall into that. That's always useful. I, I don't know if it's prevalent in other areas, but in Chicago right now, um, DevOps 
engineer has, is synonymous with sysadmin. There's no jobs for sysadmins in Chicago anymore. They're all for DevOps engineers, but you read the job rec and yeah. it's just a well, sysadmin. For a while, it was, it was, it was, for a while it was actually good for hiring because it gave yeah. a, little bit, it was a little bit of a clue indication. It's like, hey, that guy yeah. talks about DevOps in his in his job and what is what he does in his job. You know, he or she like that might that's that's great. They must know what they're talking about. Or likewise, if someone had a job that was like, look for somebody who's hip on these job skills, you know, or these DevOps skills. Someone might say, oh, well, this company might actually have a clue about what's going on. So I think there was some of that sort of clueness, and that helped people in hiring. And I think that's driven why you see this a lot in people's job titles. And I see on the on the development side, I'm seeing a lot of. DevOps being referred to as knowing developer tools, really so knowing CI, knowing PowerShell, knowing you know those things, knowing how to use Git. I've seen referred to as a DevOps skill, um, <laughs> which was interesting. Um, you know stuff like that. The words DevOps tools make me cry, and yeah. if I read them, I've been doing a lot of conference. I've been reading a lot of conference proposals lately for two or three different conferences, and um, I have really had a hard time avoiding giving things just straight up thumbs down when I see those words. I can't cope. I can't cope at all. <laughs> all right, so I think that's that's not necessarily a myth. I think the word should is what's hard in there. So Yeah. Which brings us to our, our next question, which is kind of really well following on to that discussion. We can't do DevOps because we need to have separation of duties. Oh that is uh, let me go first. <laughs> Please go right ahead. That is straight up bullshit. <laughs> it's called a myth. Oh, oh, is that the word for it? Okay. Right. Okay, uh, I think you had it right the first time. I mean, um, so and what I love about this is there's a great uh, like 15 minute video on uh, the continuous delivery site where Jez interviewed Mike Rambetsy from Etsy and they talked about separation of duties and one of the things that you get with, see, this is the other thing is that I have a thing for configuration management, one of the things that you get with managing your environments better is that when you absolutely need separation of duties you can do it but you don't have to inflict separation of duties everywhere and everything because one couple of places needs it and yes you need like customer data to stay safe and maybe you can't have developers logging into production data and you have to do all of these things that's, that keeps that stuff safe but you don't have to like lock everything in Fort Knox because you've got one gold bar in your giant pile of straw right I mean it's just that's that's not even a, a thing all you have to do is make sure that your database is locked away safely correctly but you just separate everything else from it when you have something that needs that kind of separation of duties you isolate it you don't isolate everything else with it right right so I, I would agree I think it's a it's that like, one really makes me mad well I think like a lot of these myths they, they really could be rebranded as excuses because it's mm -hmm. easy, right? People like to throw the the compliance word around. Oh, we can't do that. Compliance, compliance, compliance. You know, and yes. you don't actually look at it and say, what does that mean? You know, compli again, to your point, compliance does not necessarily mean that it's every single piece. It's your auditable stuff that you have to track all your changes. And, or when whatnot. I was writing the list together, it was really hard not to use the word excuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Damon, do you have something to add there? <laughs> Yeah, um, well, you know, so this is one of those things that, going back to what, 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 what Sasha said the first time, is people don't, aren't really sure why they're doing things, right? They just know that they're, they're, they were told this is the way that's supposed to be done. And, uh, you know, the separation of concerns issue is one that it goes back to a lot of organizations. There's some external force that's telling them to do this, right? So whether it's PCI compliance or SOX audit or, you know, HIPAA or some other, some other thing that's, that's driving them to to do this. And, you know, on one side, it's the idea of, yes, you need to protect your data, and there is, you know, that access access to that data. But in, in others, it's this idea that um, you need to protect against uh, harmful change, right? So the idea that, mm -hmm. well, if, you know, Trevor has access to the source code and Trevor has access to, to the production servers, then Trevor can just, you know, can steal everything and, you know, become an, e an evil, an evil uh, you know, supervillain, right? So the idea is where this, well, if we have, you know, where Matt is the one that has access to the source code, but Trevor is the one that has access to the, to the uh, you know, production servers, that's going to solve the problem. When the reality is the control there is quite weak itself because Matt just says, hey, I got a change for you, Trevor, and Trevor goes, oh, great, you know, one of 500 and just goes ahead and deploys it. No one's actually done any validation there. 
So mm -hmm. you can actually argue, and this is really not truly a, a, a DevOps thing. Uh, in fact, DevOps doesn't, I mean, I, I don't think DevOps have any, it's just said, how do we bring these two things closer together? If, you, if part of the requirements here is to have that controls, there's, um, you know, there's plenty of ways to do it. And you can argue that, if, for example, if you use, you know, continuous, this, this comes up in the idea of continuous delivery or continuous deployment, that if you've actually built up this immune system where, um, you know, everybody is contributing to this deployment system where you have, you know, people are putting tests in there, they're putting different checks, um, and you have this kind of, this, this, this gauntlet, this immune system to which all your changes have to go through. Mm -hmm. If uh, Matt then, you know, commits his code and it starts on its merry way, it's actually passing a review process that many people have weighed into. There is no single point of, uh, of failure there in terms of somebody can go around that, uh, that process. So you can actually argue that in, in this, in some of these, you know, high iteration, high throughput environments that are following that, model, that true continuous delivery model where they have all that automated testing and, and, and checks and balances put into place, they're actually more secure and more compliant than somebody who just has, you know, the random role that, that can check in to the source code and the random role that can, that can um, uh, uh, deploy the servers. But part of that is, you know, you have to understand fundamentally what that means and then be able to convey that to the auditors and the people who are uh, putting those requirements on you, and in fact, most of those requirements, um, separation concerns, is not really actually a thing. It's not even something that they're really, that they're even checking for. People just assume that's what has to has to take place. Right. Sounds like we have another confirmed myth going yep. by our current semantics. Uh, the statement we can't do DevOps because we need separation of duties is false, or as Sasha would call it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I have our first explicit. Oh God! I work for a product <laughs> company now. I got to stop talking like that. Um, you know who your boss is, Sasha. From what I understand, you got a lot to go before you catch up to that. <laughs> well, I guess that is true. That's good. But you know what? Marketing doesn't care. They're gonna come yeah. after me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Adam I have to worry about. Yeah. It's marketing. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of different teams, that brings us to the next section, which is. Uh, things about DevOps and Teams. So um, we kind of broke this into what ops people assume DevOps means and what dev people assume DevOps means. So being the, the ops of the arrested DevOps of this, I'll speak for the ops or what the beliefs are. And one of the big ones that, that ops people believe, for better or for worse, is that DevOps means the developers are doing op, the job of ops, are doing operations work. Is that true? Uh, well, it depends on what the day-to-day -day stuff is. I mm -hmm. mean... In my opinion, first of all, you have to, before we can even have this conversation, we have to actually establish what are the day-to-day -day things that operations sure. does. And if it's a bunch of tedious bulk that nobody should do, then nobody should be doing that. And that should all be automated. And second of all, application developers should be seen to the health of their app, whether that means they're building in uh, monitoring and stability to it when they build it, and then caring for it once it goes to production still, then yeah. But... Ops aren't babysitters. They have once they're freed up from a lot of the stuff that's app related, they can be doing stuff to uh, to work on stabilizing infrastructure and and more important things. And that all kind of centers around the whole automation deal as well, right? I mean, you automate all that crap out of the way so that you can work on important stuff. And you know, developers can see to a lot of the care and feeding of their app if they have the tools in place to do it. So I don't know what that really means, except that developers need to understand and operations folks need to understand and there's a lot of overlap. I, th I think what the, the, the truth of it is that the, develop, that the developers can make the automation, I'm sorry, geez, the developers can make the operations work easier. Right or less is, is is your point, you know, by by having the apps that are you understand that that, that are production ready that have you know they it understand they have to, to run short, somewhere. It goes back to that short feedback loop too. So you dump something in production and you don't like set it and forget it, right? I mean, technically, mm -hmm. you want to have something in production and you want to constantly be working on that feedback loop to improve it. And uh, that is a core concept of both agile and DevOps. Really, is the short feedback loop. And yeah, I mean, if you have an app that's actively being developed, then I think developers are going to be actively involved. And it really depends on what kind of tools that you know people have available to them. There's this idea that we talk about a lot, which is operations as a service, right? That you know, in, in any relationship in an organization, uh, you know, there's people who produce things and people who consume things, right? Any of these, any of these handoffs, and um, you know, if you look at what operations, you know, has been doing historically, um, you know, it's all very ticket-driven, right? It's very much like, you know, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to be the doers. Operations is going to do everything, everything for you. 
that's you know highly ineffective. And also, it's just going to be always a massive bottleneck because developers always outweigh operations, I mean, outnumber operations. Mm-hmm. And often, it's it's a vast outnumbering of operations. So you know, we look to say, well. You know, there's certain things that operations does that are good things. Operations knows how to do certain things very well. So turn those things into services that the rest of the organization can consume. You know, i.e., you know, deployment. That's a great one, right? Or allowing people to, you know, manage their own QA and dev environments, or uh, providing restarts, or providing, you know, self-service capabilities for people to run, you know, ver- you know, various data processing jobs, or, um, you know, diagnostics on on particular services. All the things that operations gets into the the habit of of having to do all the time. Turn those things into uh, services that you can then leverage the mass uh, numbers, the vast numbers of the rest of the organization to actually do the, uh, you know, do that work. And that frees up operations to actually focus on adding value to the organization. You know, te- whether it's teaching other, other groups how to, how to build, you know, scalable, high-performance, secure applications, or it's, you know, doing things internally to improve the infrastructure, improve the tooling, or, you know, move, move the ball forward. Yep. So I think it's, in a way, it's true. It's they don't they don't do the work, but they facilitate the work, and you you get the work out of the way if you're if you're in DevOps. Yeah, so. I mean it's 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 you want to change uh, you want to change uh, actually John Willis called it the eighty twenty flop, right? Mm-hmm. He's like right now classically operations spending eighty percent I probably ninety like ninety ten of their time in the muck, right? They're mucking around, they're doing all the crap, they're doing stuff that's not really adding value to the organization, right? Um, Versus 10% of the time, they're actually moving the needle forward. They're actually improving the lot of, of the organization. So we need to flip that around. So um, you know they're spending you know 80, 90% of their time moving the ball forward and adding values to the organization and managing the exceptions and the you know edge cases, and the and the other uh, the rest of the time they're you know that small amount of time they're doing you know stuff in the muck. All right. So Trevor, Dev perspective on the minute. Well. DevOps means developers get admin access in production, right? I totally think that's legit. I think that the way I usually say it short is that uh, if you treat developers like children, they're always going to be children. And uh, nobody breaks things on purpose, and people are going to be pretty careful most of the time. So I don't see why not. If, if everybody else is logging into production, why can't developers too? And uh, flippantly, I mean, why is anybody logging into production? in this day and age of advanced tooling. So it's more a matter of what kind of tools do you have in place to make sure that developers can get their work done and see how their app is performing. Because you know, contrary to what most operations teams believe, and I have been on one, uh, developers don't want to hand you shit that breaks. <laughs> and they don't want to walk away from it and never see it again because it's got their name on it. They actually give a shit about what they're deploying. And if you actually give them the tools to, to monitor and care for their app, they're going to want to. Mm-hmm. That's uh, your your point. Like, why is anybody doing it? The first thing I want to I want to do one call out. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, you guys at Chip Show did a whole episode about this. Uh huh. We did. And I don't. It was a really stop, interesting episode. I really liked it. I don't remember if it was who who was it mentioned it, but I've I've kind of uh, taken it to heart and I've I've used it in a lot of conversations with with customers. Which is and it, this sounds like something you would have said, Sasha, but it was something effective that as soon as you um, don't allow, you know, that, that you make it an exception or, like you said, treat developers like children, you lose control over your production environment because you never know what it's like because you never know if someone's hiding things. Right. Um, oh, yes, I, that's the blameless, the blameless the culture blameless for one, sure. The blameless culture mm-hmm. piece of that, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, if and, you make it a crime to make mistakes, people are not going to own up to mistakes and you're never going to know. Mm-hmm. And I always also, like when you said, why are you logging into production, um, I, I call out the, the Mark uh, Burgess just uh, quote, which is that every time someone logs onto a system interactively, they uh, compromise everybody's understanding of that system. And I, I agree. I mean, that should, like you said, nobody should be logging into anything. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had a team once that, fortunately, I guess for those guys, I don't manage them anymore, but it was getting to the point that we were going to start auditing interactive logins, and it was going to be part of their review because our automation was such that it wasn't required. And pot in the kettle, I was the worst of it, right? Like, <laughs> you know, so... That's why. That's why I shouldn't manage people. Uh, so so that, I was going to say that kind of also answers the the following myth as well, which was developers can't be trusted. So it sounds like well, that is a myth. If uh, 
I think David wants to jump in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, so, like, one time I think, I think there's, to hear what you're saying here, right? I mean, on one hand you're saying nobody needs root, right? Which which I, I totally believe in, actually, because you should have the tooling in place. I think that's where, a great place to work towards. Right, so nobody needs root, right? So, but then on the other hand, you say, you know, don't treat developers like, like children. But at the same time, I think it's a little bit childish when developers say, you know, I have to have root access, trust me, trust me, you know, you know, give it to me. The problem here is not, are you giving developers root access or not? The problem is, do developers have the level of access and really it's, do they have the level of control and visibility that you need to, um, you know, to actually let them get get their get their job done, right? So there, right. there's a third, certain amount of freedom you need to give them, but there's also a certain amount of responsibility that has to come with that freedom. It's kind of like this, you know, you want to centralize standards, centralize Yes, yeah, so centralized standards and centralized, you know, kind of process and tooling and ideas, and you want to decentralize control to, you know, to the, the point where they where it needs to be, it needs to be done. I think the focus is on that. I think actually giving everybody root access, you're actually losing control in a very important way in a large organization. It's very difficult to track, you know, what is going on, what isn't going on. Of course, you can trust everybody, allegedly, but I think, you know, the larger the organization, you need to be able to verify what's actually happening, what's actually going on. And I think, you know, people should respect that in, in, in a large organization and realize that, hey, if you're, you know, if you're target, let's use that, and you have, you know, uh, you know 500, 1,000, I don't know how many people are in, in the target organization. Aren't they up in, are they in, are they in Minneapolis? Minnesota. You? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, Minnesota, yeah. Right, I don't, how many people are in their technology organization, right? I mean, Thousands. just to say, thousands, right, to say, hey, of those, maybe, you know, say a third are developers, 300, 400, Let's give all of them root access. And let's give all the ops people root access and just trust everybody. You know, that's a little bit, I think, naive and it's never going to happen, especially in this kind of age of high age of uh, this age of high compliance and and uh, you know large risk in in, in in big organizations. So rather focusing on 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 that, saying give me all access pass to to everything, I think it's a matter of focusing on you know do we have the wrong do we have the right tooling in place that gives people the control and the visibility that they need. And that's kind of like go back to that operations as a service concept or, you know, idea that if you've given somebody all the buttons they need to push to get their job done and access to all the information that they need to get their job done, then everybody should be happy working within their, you know, their respective uh, areas. And you've contr- contr- you've closed your risk down to the smallest uh, footprint possible without constraining people from doing what they have to do. I agree. Oh. I agree. Mm-hmm. We aspire to not need root, but there there is also the realism of, of, of what we can expect. So, yeah. Um, so I know we, we we always try not to be too tool oriented, but and I, I know we we all hate the uh, you know download the DevOps and DevOps is about the tools and we know it's about people and about culture, but uh, this is one that that I that I, I I hear a lot and I might have some some personal beliefs on, but. Um, and I have a hard time. A lot of these myths are very absolute, and that's what makes them kind of seem ridiculous. So I'm going to reword this one a little bit. I'm going to say DevOps works best with open source tools and operating systems, i.e., I can't do DevOps in a Microsoft shop. Is that true or a myth? Yeah. Uh, so the question is about Microsoft. Can you do well, DevOps guess, in a Microsoft shop? I guess a better way, a better way. I mean, I was using the, 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 the example of saying it doesn't work in a Microsoft shop, but the real yeah. belief that I wanted to state is that DevOps works better with open source tools and operating systems. <clears throat> ah, okay. Um, I think the issue is that the open source world, I think, went to small, composable, you know, small tools that do small things excellently, excellently well, and then you basically got... Um, you've got, uh, you know, that you compose those into tool chains or the Unix tool chain style of things versus, you know, commercial vendor tools that basically said, hey, you only want to talk to so many vendors, so you buy everything from me, I'm going to give you the entire stack and it's all integrated together. And because of that, I think you had one thing that was, you know, that was small, lightweight, was very API driven, was very friendly and easy to integrate. Um, often very source-driven because usually we're kind of you know uh, source-driven type type folks that were they're using them, versus the very point-and-clicky large integrated um, stacks that don't have those qualifications, right? So I think in in places where you see commercial tools that have the APIs and have the flexibility and have the composability that um, that the open source tools do, I think you'll see those succeed. So I think it's more a question of the um, you know the ease of use and the capabilities of those tools, than it is the um, the 
the fact whether they're open source or or not. I, I'll I'll not to not to interrupt, but I mean like one of the things I see, uh, and again, big. I'm very agnostic. We do we do work all over the place. We I happen to be doing a lot of consulting now, where we have a lot of Microsoft clients, but we really embrace a lot of the open source tools for doing the the DevOps work. And I think that I think there is something that, to be said that it is it is easier when you're using um, more of a, an open or a Linux operating system as opposed to a Microsoft OS, just because there's more to the tools. You know, we run into things like Test Kitchen where it's like, hey, it's not that we don't want to support Windows, we just don't know how to do it. We just don't work there. You know, where it's our where we're getting there, and so it's it's. I think things are turning around a little bit, but it is a little challenging and sometimes frustrating when you really want to embrace and you say, hey, no, I don't want to use System Center. I want to use these open tools that are out there, but I happen to be on a different stack. Mm-hmm. Um, it can it can sometimes get a little frustrating trying to implement that. I completely agree. Really. I don't know that I have anything else to add to that. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of that's the legacy of it. Uh, there's, we did a uh, DevOps cafe with Jeffrey Snover, who's the chief yeah. architect for Windows Server. He talks a lot about. He talks about why, right? That you know that there's a culture of Microsoft was about the GUI, whether you thought Microsoft GUIs were pretty or not. You know, they put the mm-hmm. GUI on the they put the GUI on the world, really, right? I mean, you know, Steve Jobs might have came up with it in the first place, but they put the <laughs> GUI they put the GUI on you know on the world. And so, of course, everyone's going to have a GUI, and that was just sort of their way of, of doing things. And, you know, better for worse, they said, hey, if you fall into our set of tools and read our set of books, you'll always have a job being, you know, a Microsoft admin or a Microsoft developer. So, you know, they just had a legacy of closed kind of systems. You look at, like, the new PowerShell stuff, it's, it's you know, it looks good. I mean, I think they can do some cool stuff. Um, it's just a question of, you know, will the rest of the ecosystem catch up with it, and will they be able to, you know, kind of, have that ubiquity across all of their systems that you would find in a typical, you know, Linux um, Linux environment. You know, I think eventually they'll they'll get there. They're definitely playing catch up, but there's no, you know, again, it goes back to just you know, you can find a way to do it. You just need to th- think about those requirements and translate them to you know all of your Microsoft uh, tools. I think, and and. Uh... I remember that episode, and he talks a lot about standards-based management, which was really interesting, and I make everybody in my team listen to that episode, by the way, uh, <laughs> and, and understand. But one of the things that I think is, is interesting, too, with that is the direction they're, they're taking over there is, um, for example, like with the PowerShell DSC, they say, okay, here's a way you can do this, but we're not necessarily saying you have to use something that we have to manage it. You can use Chef. You can do whatever. And I think there's a, a lot of turning... Um, to make that a lot more accessible, which which is great, you know, I think there's I think that direction's happening so that you don't necessarily have to depend upon the Microsoft tool, um, because their systems are becoming a little bit easier to manage, um, but it's still not like again to to go back to your episode when he's talking about Microsoft tools are very API driven versus the file driven capabilities you have in Linux, which make them really a natural fit for infrastructure as code. Right, I mean that's why Config Manager, System Center Config Manager. I never, I can't see how you can use that and do infrastructure as code because it's a big database. You can't version data, you know, <laughs> like you can version recipes or whatnot. So, um, I think it's a shift. But I, I'd like, I, I for one, would very much like to see more the, the capability of using the tools that we really want to use um, to be a little more stack agnostic. So I don't, I don't think that's a. I guess if we reword it to saying that it works, it's easier with uh, open source tools and operating systems, I think it's true. Here it is. Uh, do the tools promote DevOps cultural change? They enable it. Mm-hmm. They can. They can, pl- they can enable it, but um, I don't know. That prom- I think promote is too strong a word, uh, just because that kind of implies that the tool is, is pushing the change, and all it does is exacerbate uh, friction. It, it exacerbates friction if you don't have the cultural uh, imperatives in place. If people aren't already ca- trying to get on board with this stuff, all it really does is irritate people. Because um, uh, a lot of these tools will try to break break down some of the silos and, and insert, you know, tendrils into their into the silo walls and stuff. And and it's just it's friction as opposed to enabling people at that point because people are not on board, and so all they really are is threatened. But I mean, it can help to bring in one or two and kind of start introducing people and concepts at this, or you know, tools and concepts at the same time. But if you think you can get a tool and it's going to do the job for you, you're wrong. Yeah, and, and I think what's, what's what you see more than often than not is if, if, if 
people want to jump to the tool because tools are what we love. It's like, you know, hey, we're, you know, as technologists. It's uh, easy you know. to talk about tools. They're concrete. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. People are squishy, right? People are, like, complicated. Uh, you know, the tools, people like to talk, you know, it's, it's they show me in code, you know, sort of men, mentality things. I think also it's just the tradition of people like tools. They like talking about it. It gets them excited, right? like technology. And so because of that, and I think also people tend to think they're a bit more evolved or smarter than they are uh, or more self-aware when it comes to, you know, the culture issues than a lot of organizations actually are. So they think, oh, you know, we've got our, yeah, yeah, we know we got to do on the culture side. Of course, of course, culture is important, but let's talk about the tools. And then you give them the tools and what do they do? They just recreate their old broken world in those tools because their culture, really their organizational programming, why they, why they do things the way they do them um, is, has not been changed. Their worldview has not changed. Their view of each other, their view of the work they're supposed to be getting done has not changed. So they just end up recreating their old world in the new set of tools and, you know, things fail things fail miserably and they go on looking for the the next tool. Also, one last piece right. about that, in a big organization, nobody ever gets fired for a successful tool implementation, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where, hey, I got that tool in there, and, you know, I, I got Chef in there and Chef's working. Chef is, you know, is able to, you know, do this, do that. Um, and it's true, right? Statement of work complete. You know, that yeah, tool is in there and tool's working, but they're using Chef in a completely screwed up way or they're not, you know, or they're trying to push it down some other organization's throat, or they're not actually, you know, handing it off to other other teams. All kinds of issues that can be going terribly wrong there, and I'm sure, you know, that have nothing to do with the tool, nothing to do with the quality of it. It's just they're using it in the same old, same old broken way. Um, but that can always be somebody else's fault. So the person that did the successful tool implementation gets a gold star, they get a promotion, and you know, they can shift Rather the blame for the fact that. Right. You're right, and we're right, whether or not it actually helped the organization, right? You can all come with some BS ROI statistics that make it look like you actually did something something good, but if you step back far enough, you realize you spent a lot of money and a lot of time and nothing ever actually yeah. improved in, in your... Probably got worse. Mm -hmm. Right. You got to add Shep to your resume. <laughs> <laughs> right, there you go. So then you can yeah. go on and, and get a job at a place that's actually... Uh -huh. that's actually uh, <laughs> I, I can't say a well. thing without sounding like that's the problem with working for Chef now is that I just look like a douchebag whenever I talk about anything that isn't Chef. Like I used to be able to have opinions about stuff that I don't anymore because I just sound like a jerk. <laughs> it makes me sad. Yeah, we we won't sell you out. Um, so we got we're gonna wrap up with one one uh, one belief, which I I think we know where where we're we're all gonna feel on this because if we don't, oh, yeah, if we don't, then we're all in the wrong podcast. Um, but it's this, this, we'll, we'll hit this myth and then we'll move into our checkouts. But the, this is the belief that DevOps doesn't work. It's a fad. It doesn't, doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, it uh, depends on what you, what, yeah, what yeah. you mean when you think of DevOps, because uh, I get really frustrated these days and I, um, I get to the point where I don't want to use it at all as a word mm -hmm. because I just get mad about uh, how it's being used. And uh, I think that, um, really what you really need to do is, is work on your communication and collaboration and call it whatever you need to call it to get the job done. I don't know. We're we're along those lines. It's you know within um, my company, we're we're doing a lot of offerings now that that has to do with this, and it's it's interesting that you know being kind of dialed into this part of the culture and knowing this stuff, you know, been working very closely with our marketing folks to be like we cannot use this word wrong or incorrectly because mm -hmm. there's these things, but we also there's a point when it has to be somewhat embraced because that's what our customers want the word. But we don't sell it as fairy dust, right? You don't do the sparkle dust, like you say. You don't say, okay, here, buy mm -hmm. the DevOps. Um, and while, you know, there's that, that part of you that sits there and says, oh, I just, you know, it's kind of going into this loaded word, it is becoming the point. And that's kind of like why we have this podcast. Because our intent here is like, you guys all have podcasts for the big thinkers. This is, no, I'm just, what? I just insulted, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I, just, I just insulted our entire audience. <laughs> and our one, our one but, viewer during the show left. Yeah. Um, but my point is we're, we're trying to be accessible. We're saying, because that was the thing for me was when I was kind of getting started, and was I would listen to John and Damon or whatever, and I'd be like, I don't really know what you guys are talking about, but I'm going to stick it through. But my point is people are knowing these words, and they're coming, and they're wanting to under, understand it, and I think we can shepherd them through it. But like you said, it's a matter of, of knowing what, what your expectation is out of it. And that's where you could say, does it work or doesn't it? Does it not work? Is what do you mean by it? Well, well you know, there's. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that that you know they like things the way they are, right? And they have a difficult time seeing that you know there might be a problem 
out there that things could improve, that things need to you know need to uh, need to get better. And you know, often that I think I think that that's a matter of people are just entrenched in their silo. You know, they've got their head down, they're doing what they they want to do. Suddenly, you're coming in. Adam and you're giving them all these new ideas like hey you're a developer you now got to care about what a production environment really looks like you got to know about how people are actually deploying and running this thing that you're building in fact I want you to actually wear this pager not really a pager but I want your phone to go off when when something breaks at three o'clock in the morning like screw you like what who, yeah. who are you and what, what do you what do you tell me all this stuff for and that's where I think this becomes down to I said DevOps is a management problem right it's it's the management of the organization is the thing that's structured and built itself and, 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 and that's that's why you know that's why things are 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 the way they are today, right? So it, it's up to what management has to do here. I think is is align the organization around the goal. They have to literally get people understanding why it is that they're trying to act, you know, what they're trying to accomplish, and make them understand the larger system that they're working within. Because without the without that kind of organizational alignment, then these ideas are just you know, a bunch of extra requirements that you're lumping on top of somebody or completely misunderstood. But if you're just saying, hey, look, this is the big picture. This is what makes the business run. This is your part over here. And these are all the bottlenecks and issues we've got. Um, and we want to, our mandate is to shrink this down to where the cycle time is X, the quality is, you know, all the way up here, and everyone's job is easier and the customer's happy. Like, if you give people that kind of instructions and that sort of alignment and view of the world, you'll find that people will suddenly become inter more energized and actually go and solve the problems for you, <laughs> right? I mean, if people get aligned the right way, they just go and, and just like they created problems in the past, they'll go and uh, solve the problems in the future because, you know, I said before, people don't show up for work uh, looking to do the wrong thing. They don't show up looking to make things worse. They just do what they do, and they, in their world, they think they're doing the right, uh, the right thing. And they might be doing the right thing, just may not be aligned with everybody else in the organization to do the right thing for, for the organization. So, sorry. Well, let me interject. Like, <laughs> uh -huh. the the other side of that uh, too is the idea that um, you have to figure out a way to communicate that message in a way that makes people give it. Because one mm -hmm. of the big stories that I really like to tell is when I still worked for corporate um, several years ago, the, the video of the, the Seattle fish market was going all over and management, like this was a huge revelation to management. Like it came all the way down from the top. Like everybody has to learn to throw fish like the Seattle fish market. Like it was this thing. Like if we could all just learn to cooperate and work together like the fish throwers, um, kumbaya, right? And all of us uh, at our level were like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, right? So like yeah. um don't don't try to like peanut well, butter over with kumbaya because um huh. really uh you, you you need to figure out a way to make it relevant to people or it's just going to be bullshit coming down from senior management. You know, that's actually an interesting point that I, I think this is where the responsibility comes on to the management side of things is that often if you come in with these DevOps ideas into an enterprise organization, just like if you came in with, with Agile before that, the managers go, yeah, that's right. Those technology folks, they're all screwed up, right? Good. Go fix yourself. Let's Bye. fix them. Right, yeah. right. Go, fi go fix yourselves. And they don't realize their responsibility for that process. That would be like, I would say, like, it's like if, you, if I went to uh, Ford, and I grabbed any exec C level executive and I said, let's go to a factory and tell me how you make cars. Probably the CFO could probably tell me how they make a car. They may not tell you what all the machines and people do, but they could probably say, oh, we got these suppliers and they bring it in here and we go there and we do this, we do that. They could walk you through their business and like, well, wow, you're the, you're accounting, you're in marketing, you know, how do you know this? And they're like, it's our business. We make cars. Of course I know how we make a car, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, how many technology organizations is that true? Even in pure, you know, SaaS type companies, can you walk into the executive suites and say, "Hey, how is software made in, in this organization? How do we conduct business in, in, in our in our or in our organization? The business, you know, getting the work done so we can conduct business. How does that happen?" And a lot of times they can't tell you because there's always been this idea that you know we're the high priests of IT. You know, um, these are not the you know people you're looking for, right? It's the, <laughs> the Jedi, the Jedi droid trick, and then we all have to. You know, scurry along, and and we we when technologies use that to hide a lot of sins, hide a lot of problems, right? That oh, this is tough stuff. You just couldn't understand, couldn't understand. And the business guys have used it the opposite way to say, you know, hey, you know, I don't want to know about that stuff. I, you're smarter than I am. 
And I think that's <laughs> got to end, and that needs to, to break down. And, you know, somebody probably thought from their perspective that, the, you know, Sasha's example, the Seattle fish market thing was some meaningful and powerful metaphor because that's all they really they really got, right? But um, so I, I think it, it's, it's as much on the business side of it to learn about technology is, is the technology side to learn about the business that they're in. We can't just say, hey, you know, I just deploy servers, get off my back, you know, you worry about your own, you know, business thing. Like, no, they, you need to understand the business you're in just as much as, tech, as technology needs to understand the business. The business needs to understand the technology of what they do. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I agree All as right. well. So um, we're, we're coming up to our end here, so that is definitely busted. And let's uh, go, go through our checkouts real quick. Um, this is part where we just sort of give a little little shout out to something something cool we want our listeners to listen to or or check out. Yeah, that too. I, I can't talk. So I got two checkouts uh, real quick. One is something that, um, of all things, a, a customer told me about today. Um, it's a website called getdrunk.com. That's G-I-T-E-R-U-N-K.com. Uh, it's a drinking game for get. Lots of fun. We'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> and I'm going to give a little bit of a shout-out to, uh, this is for any of our local to Chicago listeners, uh, next Thursday is the Downtown Chicago Azure Meetup, but we're collaborating um, with Google on this, called, calling it Speed Dating in the Cloud. It's uh, at Cloud Bakers, and we'll be talking about Azure and uh, Google Compute and Google App Engine. We'll put a link in the show notes, so if you're Chicago-based, come on by. It's and fun stuff. It is. That's how Trevor and I met. So mm-hmm. all, all the way back there. So speaking of, Trevor, what you got? Well, I guess first of all, I've got my cat that you've all seen periodically um, popping up and affecting at me. Um, her I name is. To check out your cat. <laughs> I, I held her up to say. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget that this is going to be a recording because she keeps rubbing my face while I <laughs> I'm talking. <laughs> uh, but the other thing I wanted to check out is uh, Marvel Comics just released an API um, where you could look up. Through endpoints, you can get characters, you can get story arcs, you can get comic writers, all kinds of neat stuff. Um, make visualizations, comic lookups. It's really interesting. Uh, I'm gonna start playing around with it because, you know, something fun to to teach myself some more tools with. Sasha, do you have anything fun? Well, I have out. a couple things. I guess since you guys are talking about local stuff, I can toss out that tomorrow night, I'm not there, I'm in Iowa, but tomorrow night is the uh, the monthly DevOps meetup in Minneapolis, and they're actually having, every other month they just have a uh, go out and drink, so they're just having their, what they call the, the mixer, but it happens in a bar with beer, and it's lots of fun. So uh, that's on meetup.com, I don't have any of the details, but you can go find it. There, Everybody's really nice there, and you should go if you are in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And then the other shout-out I have is it's conference submission season. If you haven't submitted this week at a conference, you really should. It's a good, it's a good exercise, even if you aren't accepted. And um, it's amazing the topics that you could talk about if you thought about it for two seconds. The first conference I ever went to was like Velocity 2000 something. And I heard some topics, and I was like, this is a thing. This is something that we have to spend 40 minutes talking about, really? So <laughs> you know a lot more than you think you know. Um, so if you have something that has been interesting in your life or something that you, if you find yourself ranting about something to friends a lot, um, that's usually conference talk worthy and you should submit, especially um, if you haven't done it before because uh, it's, it's a pretty awesome way to uh, also get people to pay for you to go to conferences. You know, it's a lot more likely that work will pay for you to go if you can get a conference talk submitted because that's good business. So um, I think you should, the Velocity New York submission is open to the end of March. Uh, that's the one I have off the top of my head, but there are a lot of good ones coming up, including uh, there are the Velocity Conferences and, um, well, Chef Comp is coming up too, and I know that the Puppet Labs has theirs in August, So, and there are usually a couple of puppet camps floating around too, and DevOps Days, Philadelphia is at the end of May, so lots of good places that you could submit talks to, and uh, you should. That's mine. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh... Uh, speaking of speaking, uh, I'm going to be at the uh, QCon conference, uh, the Devs DevOps track, in uh, March 5th, I believe it is, uh, in London. So if your European listeners are out there want to talk DevOps, uh, definitely come by and say hi or hit me on Twitter or something like that, and we'll uh, meet up. But uh, on a total self-serving front, but I think it's cool to the world, is uh, Rundeck 2.0 just uh, got launched, and uh, it's fully open source. 
Um, cool thing about it is that in the past, Rundex sort of had a bit of an identity problem. It was, you know, people either got it and loved it, and other people are like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this with this thing. Is it like a Jenkins for operations? I'm not really, I don't get it. And I think, you know, some people saw it as, as uh, you know, light, like lightweight orchestration. Some people saw it as an operations console. Some people saw it as, as, a, as an engine that you can use to, you know, connect your your uh, continuous delivery pipeline, uh, you know, together. Um, and the reality is, kind of came on what the, the biggest use case people use it for, thing it adds, but I mean, is self-service. How do you enable self-service operations? You've got all this automation out there. Automation's kind of a solved problem. There's a lot of, a lot of details and inflation in the details, but we know how to get the bits on the box. We know how to make things dance and do what they got to do, but you still have this human-to-tool interaction where you still have, you know, operations takes place, right? And it's an idea of, you know, how do you actually enable people to, you know, serve themselves, whether it's you want to create a bunch of standard operating procedures to hand off to the people on your team, or you want to hand them off to QA folks or dev folks or, or God forbid, business folks. Um, you know, how do you uh, take those procedures and turn them into services that can be either at a button or an API somebody can uh, can use to do, uh, you know, kind of a capstone to all your automation work you've been doing. So awesome. it's out. Um, it looks Great. a lot better than the old one, and it's ready to <laughs> rock and roll. Great. All right. Well, I want to give some special thanks to our guests, uh, Damon Edwards and Sasha. Absolutely. This was uh, amazing to have you guys join us. I think we had a, a great conversation. Uh, be sure to check us out at ArrestedDevOps.com or uh, at ArrestedDevOps on Twitter. I'm Matt, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. And I'm Trevor, at Trevor G. Hess on Twitter. We're Arrested DevOps, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand.